0: We're continuing our series on the book of Psalms, and we're in the 12th chapter today. Thank you so much for joining us here at the World Challenge Pulpit Series, and we pray that this series has been a blessing to you. Let me pray, and then we're gonna dig into Psalm chapter 12. Father, uh, open my understanding and my wisdom, all that I've been studying for these past weeks, uh, that you would bring to light today in a word that brings revelation and truth and uh, deliverance and power to our lives. We give thanks for this, in Jesus' name, amen. I think this is an important passage of Scripture, Psalm chapter 1 through 12. As you look back over the past few weeks, if you've been joining us in this series, you'll see that it's been very much a warfare um, reality that David and the other psalmists that have written this have been facing, the conflict that's going on between the evil and the wicked, those who are under the sway of the evil one, the conflict between them and those who are righteous. It's important we understand that we live in this conflict. You were born into conflict. People that are most depressed, most discouraged, most ready to give up, most uncertain about whether God answers prayer or not are those who believe they should not be living in a conflict. If we understand we are born into a war, we're going to understand there's going to be battles, there's going to be hardships, there's going to be sufferings, there's going to be pain, there's going to be losses, but there are going to be even more so great victories if you understand we are born into a battle you'll understand then that you're in a fight when i was in high school uh there was a high school bully big guy and um he had learned that i was taking uh, kung fu and kickboxing lessons and um i hadn't been taking them that long and I, i'm sure i wasn't very good at it but uh he came up to me one day after school and said hey i want to fight you and i, s- I said Look, i'm a christian and and i, I don't want to fight he goes well i know you've been learning this junk, and..." Uh, i just uh, I, I, i'm gonna fight with you and i said no I, i'm not gonna fight because you're going to be in a fight whether you want to be in a fight or not the question is whether or not you're going to fight back and so it was really odd if you're curious about it at all it was really strange because the little bit of training i had uh, encouraged me how to sort of watch out how to duck and roll and and throw a jab and he was throwing these wild what they call uh, haymakers. And, and just in this middle of this attack that I was under, uh, I just found myself. I think it was a little bit of my training, but a whole lot of it was the grace and kindness of God. And I just moved away, left and right and ducked, and I punched a little jab there. Not that I'm a violent person at all, but just to back him off. And finally, after a while, he just gave up. He, was, he got winded and frustrated and uh, hit a couple times as well. And so that's what I want to say to us. You may not want to be in a battle. You may not want to be in a fight. You may want your life to be full of comfort and ease, pleasant things. You may want to go to a church that promises you uh, everything's going to be fine in your life. You're never going to have any struggles. You're not going to be under temptation. You're not going to be confronted with evil. That's just not the case. This book is a book about warfare. And we've been studying that in Psalm, and I just see that now as we've developed a study through of several chapters. I'm seeing here how much David is, and the psalmist are, are very concerned about this warfare motif. And the warfare motif of chapter 12 is one that is not just external, but I believe it's internal as well. The enemies that we're about to read here is, is, are certainly external enemies that he faced as being king, as being a warrior, as, as being a person who has people in his life. That are, uh, as we all are going to have people that are coming against us, but it's more of an internal thing. And particularly the way I would like to, to read this, to understand this, and to preach this, and deliver it to you today, that you, we might be set free from some of the things we see that the enemy could do in our life. That that we we look at it that way. So let me read the chapter. It's uh, very short. It's only eight verses. And then we're going to talk about the warfare of the godly pe- Warfare of godly people. To the choir master, according to the Shemoth, a psalm of David. Verse 1, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Now, remember, as we're reading this, let's read this in the understanding there's a spiritual battle going on. That the things that these people are doing or are not doing are, are not just fleshly or carnal, that's certainly part of it. But they, but they are being motivated by an undercurrent spoken to, lied to by the wicked one, by the schemes of the devil. And so what the devil has done is caused godly ones to be gone, faithful to have vanished among the children of men. Verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbors. We're going to be talking about lies today, deceptions, uh, words that the enemy puts into your ears, words that cause you to be discouraged, uh, depressed, fearful, anxious, self-loathing all these things come from lies the uttering of lies now speaking here of a person lying to their neighbor but this also i believe speaks of satan lying to you and i about our lives with flattering lips and double heart they speak may the lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that make great boast those who say with our tongue we will prevail our lips are with us uh, who is the master over us. Our lips are with us. Who is the master over us? In other words, there's, we, we've got it all under control. We're in charge. Nothing can stop us. That's what the enemy loves to cause a lie, that wicked is going to prevail, that the hardships in your life, that the addictions in your life, that the pain in your life, that the sinful patterns in your life uh, will always master over you, and you'll never be the master over those things through the help of the Holy Spirit. But verse 5 goes on. Because the poor are plundered. You ever feel that way in your life? Plundered economically, plundered in relationships, plundered in emotional joy and life, vitality, the abundant life God promised. Have those ever things been diminished, decreased in your life? Has has certain circumstances caused you to be downcast? Um, the poor are plundered because the needy groan. Have you ever groaned? Lord, is this the way my life should be? Is this the way my marriage should be? Is this the way my career should be going? My calling, my vocation, Lord. And... Uh, there's a groan in me we get that groan inside of us but look what the Lord says in verse five I will now arise says the Lord I will place him speaking of the one who's groaning the one who's being plundered I will place him in the safety for which he longs speaking of the longings of our heart verse six the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in the furnace of of the ground purified seven times you, O oh Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl. And as vileness is exalted among the children of men. We see here a cultural war between good and evil, between wicked and godly. We see here a, a, a relational war going on between people who are following God and those who are not. We see here a personal war going on as as those who are writing these psalms are being lied to, and, and being, there's the temptation to believe the lies that, that, that the enemy's going to win, that God's going to be defeated, that you're going to be defeated. And then there's the, the spiritual underrealm, the warfare between the heavenlies and the things that are below the earth, the, God, the ungodly, the, 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 the demonic forces, in the realms of spiritual forces of darkness. And so we see all of these con- uh, conflicts going on. And and, and I, I would say to you, the yes, we certainly live in America today in a cultural war. Verse 8 says, where the wicked prowl and vileness is exalted among the children of men. Yes, we are certainly in a cultural war with wickedness rampant, with wickedness increasing, with wickedness having almost no boundaries. But I would suggest to you there's even a greater war going on, and that is Uh, one that is more daunting, and that is the spiritual warfare in unseen realms. You are in a battle. You are in a a fight, as I said earlier, whether you want to be or not. And I ask you today, are you going to stand up and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with His might and His strength to cause you to enter in this war, this war where vileness is exalted, where wickedness prowls. Now, I wanted to take this chapter, and we've been going verse by verse, but I want to do a, a twist to it a little bit if you would follow with me. Instead of going from verse 1 to 8, I want to work my way backwards. Uh, I do this sometimes when I'm understanding Scripture because sometimes working backwards, it kind of shows you where you end up uh, and where you started from, what the main theme is, and what are some of the principles needed to be learned from it. I might suggest you it's kind of like a movie. Maybe you've seen these movies where they show you the end first and then they go back to the beginning and show you how it all happened. So we're going to work our way backwards. Chapter 12, verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. Here's some of the the warfare motif that we're talking about today. Uh, We see this is, uh, the scripture says here, on every side the wicked prowl. So satanic attack, powers of darkness, forces of evil are working against you, against your family, against your health, against your emotions, against most of all your spiritual life, against the church of Jesus Christ, and even against nations. It's working. Wicked are prowling. They're moving around, looking for whom they, as the Bible says, Satan is looks for whom he may devour, looking for to kill, steal, and destroy those he might devour by killing, stealing, and destroying. And so this idea of prowling around into all of these arenas, all of these realms, we see this socially, where what was just a few years ago would be socially unacceptable now is not only socially acceptable, Scripture nails it here, hits it straight on, it's it's actually exalted things that you would have had to say in secret that you did, you'd have been ashamed to say it publicly. Now you're boasting about it. Now the, now, now you are, are saying, like it says at the end of verse 3, the tongue makes great boasts uh, about these things. We see this culturally. We see it in media as well, this vileness prowling for, further. We see it in our education system. You've noticed probably lately in the news, some of the things that are being presented in schools. The one story recently, a little girl got up and she started reading a book and the school board uh, hit the gavel on the, on the p- podium there and said, young lady, that's out of order. You cannot speak those kind of things in a public forum like this. And she was just reading this, this vile, grotesque, so, uh, sexual immorality uh, descriptions. And, and she said to the, to the school board, this is in my school library. This is what the school is teaching us and they've shut things down see this is what's happening they're prowling around and the vileness is being exalted in our education system we see it in our government our government is promoting laws and rules that are so vile that 50 years ago uh, it would have considered been considered abhorrent to think of those things and now not only are we thinking about them but we're practicing them with a boasting attitude inside of that i think one of the things that breaks my heart the most is there's actually even a vileness in the church. We're seeing compromise in the church. The liberal church certainly for years has had uh, an open door to things that would be cause uh, godly people to blush, but now it's creeping even into the evangelical church where there's compromise, where sin is tolerated, where certain behaviors that were once considered outlandishly foolish in, and, and deeply sinful now would be tolerated. We see that in Paul's teaching. In the, to the church of Corinth where uh, the, the young man was sleeping with his stepmother and they weren't correcting it. They weren't changing it. They weren't, they weren't in a warfare against it. They weren't in a battle against what was going on in the spiritual realm, what was going on in the church or what that message would have relayed to the culture around them. And Paul contends for the faith and says, let's bring church discipline so that we could step up and, 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 and actually get in a fight uh, against these growing, prowling, cultural religious norms that are taking place. And another way on every side would be personally as well. I would suggest to you that we are under attack personally, that there is a wickedness prowling around on every side of your life. Satan doesn't just come for one area of your life. He comes for all of it. He wants to attack your marriage. He wants to attack your health. He wants to attack your spiritual well-being. He wants to attack the a career and calling on your life he wants to attack your emotional life where you wake up in the morning and you're depressed and you're discouraged and you don't know what to do you don't even feel like getting out of bed well satan is prowling around and he's and he's attacking uh, and he's moving against you the these uh things are 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 more than than uh, uh than, than we understand it's 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 a. Uh, uh, it's, it's coming against you. It's it's a pow- this powers of darkness that are aligned against you, and so we have to understand the warfare that we're in, and that's what verse eight is talking about. Uh, to understand, on every side they're prowling, and and they're going to be boasting about the things that they bring against you and against culture and against the church. Now, what what is David's desire in, in a situation like this, where personally he's finding this battle, where? Emotionally, he's finding this. Where in his family, he's finding these things. When, where, in the culture, he's finding. How, how, how is he asking the Lord to deal with this? And how would you and I? What should we do when we find Satan prowling around us, causing some of these things in our life not to function as they should? Verse seven begins to speak to this. You, O Lord, will keep them. He's speaking about uh, keep. God will keep His word or His promises. You will guard us from this generation forever. This is powerful. Does it seem like the wicked are prevailing, that God uh, is moving too slowly and evil is moving too rapidly? Does it feel like the forces of darkness are stronger sometimes than the forces of God's light? Well, David is saying, God, guard us from that emotion. Guard us from that situation. Your word is true. Your promises are true. So guard our minds that we would not believe the lies that Satan comes up against us. Do you ever feel like the evil one? has forces on every side around you, and maybe even sometimes inside of you? Do you feel at times hopeless, ready to to give up, that your prayers don't seem to turn the tide of the, the wickedness that's coming against you, that your faith doesn't seem to turn circumstances around in your life? Maybe we just get to the place where we resolve to say, this is just the way it is. It's just, this is the world we live in and there's nothing we can do about it. We start losing hope, we start giving up faith, Or we start spiritualizing it. Well, maybe this is, uh, theologically, this is the sovereignty of God. And he just wants these forces to prevail in these ways for some unknown reason to help advance my walk with the Lord. I would suggest to you, the Lord doesn't need evil to prevail for your spiritual strength to gain uh, uh, the sovereignty of God's power in your life, the breakthrough in your life. God is a breakthrough God. God is not a God who waits by while evil Uh, defeats those who come to God but he's wanting to teach us to train us to develop us the Bible says to train our hands for war and so when wickedness comes in well he raises up a flood you and I are part of that flood that he's raising up it's not a a wind that he blows from heaven it's not a um, a, a, even a a heavenly rebuke to a hellish realm it's using you and me God wants to use you he is sovereign he, he is Lord over all but He has chosen to use His vessels. He's chosen to use people just like you and I to destroy the works of the devil, to come against these powers of darkness, to put a, to turn the tide of the wicked prowling to the, to the vileness that's being exalted, whether it be in your life, family, relationships, church, or nation. God wants to raise you up to be that kind of person. He's going to guard us. This guard is, is speaking of a personal protection, but it's also like a, a, a guard, if you maybe use a football analogy, a, a guard moves in front of the running back, moving away the obstacles so that there could be victory, there could be gaining of ground. That's what God is doing in this situation in verse 7. So we're working our way backward. Verse 6, how, how do we get to the place? There's another question you might ask. Okay, uh, wickedness is prowling around against me in all these ways. Lord, guard my heart so that I could advance against these kingdoms of darkness. But how do I do that? Or do you have some instruction for me, Lord, about how to gain the kind of capacity to win these victories? Well, that's where verse 6 gives us this powerful truth. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in the furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The words of the Lord are pure. The Hebrew word for words here could also... Suggest uh, they could mean promises that the promises of the Lord are pure. They're pure promises, pure not in the sense of they sound righteous or holy, although they certainly are, but pure in the sense that they are clean. That there's no mixture in them. There's no double-mindedness in this. There's nothing like the like in verse two. It says, uh, speaking of the 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 wicked who lie, they lie with flattering lips and a double heart. They speak. Well, I believe in verse 6 is showing the contrast there to verse 3, and the contrast is the Lord doesn't have a double heart. He is wholeheartedly pure. His promises, once He says His promise, it's as good as done. You may not see the fruition, the fullness of it all. We see this in Scripture as the Bible says that, that Christ has gained all authority, and yet another passage of Scripture says, not all things are yet under His feet. Well, He's won dominion, victory, and authority, and now there's the cleanup process, the the, the moving out of the last residue of the things of the works of the devil and the enemy. And that's what he calls you and I to participate in this, this realm of the work of the Holy Spirit. The, but we'll only do this if we believe the words of the Lord, the promises of the Lord are pure, they're clean. And, they are, and it goes on to say, if you were to test it like silver is tested in the furnace, if you were to test the promises of God seven times, then all seven times the promises are going to come true. Test as much as you want, and you will always see God is faithful. God is true. When He says He's going to cause us to be raised up, when He's called, caused us to, to that our groan would be met, when, he's, when He says He's going to arise, when He's going to say He's going to place us in safety for the things we long, know that His words are true. Now, once you know His words are true, it begins to rise, raise faith up in your life. It begins to give you an expectation That time where you wake up in the morning and you believe in nothing good's going to happen and it's going to be just like the difficult days you've been facing over this past season of your life. Now you're going to say, no, even if the circumstances haven't changed yet, my heart is changing. There's a faith in me now because I'm trusting in the pure words, the refined words of God, the fiery words of God that have been tested and proven from generation to generation. They've been proven to be true, never to fail, never to falter, never to fall short. God's promises are true. Once we listen to that voice, the voice of our Father that speaks good things, once we listen to that voice, not the voice of the lies, not the voice of the prowler, not the voice of the vileness, but we listen to the voice of the Lord. Once we listen to that voice of the Lord, it stirs faith in our heart. It stirs boldness in our heart. We start believing we can do anything, that we can overcome anything, that we can triumph over any trial, that nothing's too hard for the Lord. It builds faith, boldness, and confidence. Yes, confidence in the Lord, but listen to this, even confidence in yourself. Not a fleshly self-confidence, but a godly self-confidence where he puts within you a sense of that I can do all things through Christ. A sense that, God has purposes and plans for my life. And these purposes and plans are going to work for good. They're going to accomplish what you sent them forth to do. You're going to raise me up to do great things in this generation. You're going to use me to touch my family. You're going to use me to touch my spouse. You're going to use me to touch my neighbors. You're going to use me to create ministries, businesses, friendships, opportunities to touch People's lives. Faith will be yes. We live in a wicked, prowling generation where vileness is exalted, but we also live in a place where God's promises are pure. Do you see the contrast here? The pureness of God and His Word, His promises over us, gives us a place where we now have faith, boldness, and confidence. If uh, if it if it is here where the battle is most hotly contest, contested then God can be trusted. See, Satan comes to attack. He did this from, and this is what he's attacking. Can God's word be trusted? Is he really good? This is what happened from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were, were attacked by the, this warfare mentality of, of the of the wicked one. And he comes and says, is God really good? Did he really say, uh, is he withholding something from you? And so the question is, are you going to believe the lie of the enemy or are you going to believe the purity of God's word. Most often, um, we, 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 we tend sometimes to, to listen to the, to the wrong voices. We listen sometimes more to what the enemy has for us. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Still working backwards, back to verse five now. Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says God, says the Lord. I will place him in safety for which he longs. Why? Because we are poor and needy because we are poor and needy. In other words, we start to recognize our need, our spiritual bankruptcy, our warfare deficiency, our faith in effectiveness. We find these things, and we find that these things have been, here's the word it uses, plundered, taken down, uh, pulled away. The idea of plundering would be to have a a bag full of coins, and somebody comes and takes nine out of those ten coins. It's plundered, leaving you with hardly anything left, and it's causing you to groan. Uh, looking for, longing for a place of safety. That word safety in Hebrew there uh, doesn't just mean I feel, uh, I feel better now, I feel safe. It's, it's, a, it's a word of deliverance. It's a word of stopping the hand of the wicked one, the vileness, the prowling that's coming against you and your family and your life. And so, but but it's, first of all, it's a recognition of having been plundered. It's a recognition that there is a groaning. It is that we are needy. You see, sometimes we live in a self, a false self-confidence we want to uh, believe that everything's fine when it's really not we want to as i said earlier not enter into the warfare mentality that god has for us and so we'll try to bypass that by believing by talking good by by just saying nice things by looking in the mirror and say everything's fine and when there's really it's not you see isaiah 61 speaks about uh, those who uh, that, that god, jesus would comfort those who mourn and we have to be in a place of mourning before we receive the comforting. Many people want comfort, but they're not willing to dig deep down inside and say there's pain, there's sorrow, there's suffering, there's hardships. I've given myself over to lies. I've believed certain things. I've, I've, uh, I've made agreements with the devil. He said something about me, and I believed it, and this has caused me to be plundered. And we have to face that reality, to face that longing in our heart you see, sometimes we've been so plundered that we no longer have any longings. We no longer believe great things are ahead for us. We no longer believe that God, the best is yet to come. We hear that and we scoff at it. We hear songs about God being the victor and we go like, yeah, right, when, why wasn't he the victor in my life? That's being plundered. And, but God's saying there, groan. You know, he's saying there, get that longing arise in your heart. Let my promises, the verse uh, six promises of purified promises. let those promises be rehearsed in your mind in your in your heart in your soul let them be rehearsed time and time again to where you come up out of that with a longing and say God speak your promises over me speak your promises over these situations uh, Lord defeat the prowling hand of the enemy that's bringing wickedness into these situations and then it says and Gods saying I will arise I will rise now verse two through four, Let's take that as one section together because it's describing these people. It's describing this culture and it's describing the enemies from from the pit of hell and it's describing some of the personal problems that we have within us. And it says there in verse 2, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail and with our lips who is master over us. You see, these this wicked, prowling spirit, this vileness that's being exalted, again, whether it's national or personal, the, the, this is, this is the, the attitude that they're taking. This is their warfare mentality, and, and it's this. I'm going to speak lies, and no one can stop me. I'm going to speak lies, and there'll be great boast of what I can do to defeat the people of God, the children of God, Satan's saying, I can boast about how I can defeat you, plunder you, bring you down, cause you to not walk in victory. Uh, He's saying here, with my tongue, I can prevail. Satan's saying, with just a lie out of my mouth, I can prevail over any Christian. I can take down the most God. I can take down, listen to this, I can take down Adam and Eve, who at that point didn't even have a sin nature. Oh, you know, when he comes to us, he's already coming to somebody who's part of the fallen world. But he came to somebody who didn't have that sin nature in them and still with his lies was able to deceive them. That's powerful. And he understands the the degree of his power, limited that though it might be. And he makes great boasts about it with his tongue that he's going to prevail. And then he says, no one can be a master over this. I'm so strong. I'm so uh, profound in my lying. I'm so skilled in this... Art, dark art that uh, no one can master over me. Not, not even the faithfulness of God, not even the purity of God's promises can keep me from plundering people. And here's how Satan does it. It's so clear here in verse 2, 3, and 4. He's doing it through his lies. He's, he's doing it through things he says uh, uh, about you. He's do- doing it through things that he wants you to begin to believe rather than believing these pure promises of God this is what some people call making agreements. I want to talk about that just for a few minutes. It's very important. And I think if you understand this, you might just find the liberty to begin to have faith in God's pure words, pure promises, and, and renounce the lies that Satan has against you. You see, when you're young, when you're growing up, you might be from a, a family that maybe there was some abuse, some things were said about you. If not, certainly in school or school teachers or neighbors or friends or bullies have said things about you, you're, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're uh, unwanted. These are things that the enemy uses. Sometimes uh, other people say them to you. Sometimes Satan whispers them like he did with Adam and Eve into their ear, and he does that into your ear, and, and you begin to believe these lies. Now, mm-hmm. when, you, when you hear these lies, if you begin to believe them, it, it can open up the door to what is called agreements with these lies, So you're not only just hearing lies, you're not only believing that's a reality, because some of the things that's said against you could be true. You could be overweight. You could be lacking in certain ways. But the agreement thing is you're believing that, and then therefore the impact it's having on your life. So for instance, using a biblical example, it would be Moses. God calls him to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. What a powerful, powerful call in his life. But he is believing a lie. Can't do it. I can't move in that kind of faith. I can't believe these precious promises, of, pure promises of God. I can't do it because, why? Because I stutter. You see, maybe he did stutter. We don't know for sure, but he was, certainly had a problem in communicating at some points. But, but, but he's saying, I, I, I don't speak well. I, I stutter. And so because of the stammering voice that he has, he, he's, there, there's some element of truth to that, but the lie that he's agreeing with, believing it because of that, you are limited. Because of that, nothing good can happen to you. Leah, uh, uh, Jacob's wife, could have had this problem as well when uh, he saw her on their uh, honeymoon, so to speak, uh, and, and he doesn't have that affection for her. Well, she's hurt by that and wounded, but if she believes a lie now, she's going to continue to live in that, but she presses on and has child after child, a long-term relationship with Jacob, bringing forth some of the greatest uh, children of Israel we've ever known. So, and Moses had to get out of that lie he had to hear the word of the Lord, that God is going to be with you. He had to hear those precious promises of God and not believe the lie. You see, one of thing is believing the lie, and then the second thing is believing what the results of that lie. So I, I can't be lovely, so no one will love me. I can't speak well, so I can't have a deliverance ministry. I, I, I'm, I'm too, too weak to do this, to, to have strong faith, and so we're believing these lies. And there's what happens then is there's a connection with these lies, a deep emotional connection. It's, so it's not just in the mind anymore. It goes down into the very core of your emotions and your heart, and it begins to be something you believe about yourself. You're not just hearing an accusation that you're unworthy, that you're not valued, that you're not loved, that you can't do anything with your life, that you'll never accomplish anything. You're not only just hearing these lies and battling them, but deep in the core of you, That's your belief system now. And so when God says to you, I have a precious promise. I want you to do this, overcome that, fight this. You're you're already defeated because you won't even engage in the battle because you're believing these lies. You are attached to these uh, lies, these agreements. And how sad is this that we are having now faith in the words of the father of lies. We're putting faith in that. Like I confidently believe what Satan says about me is true. You see what I'm saying here? You're putting your faith, some people ask the question, do you have faith? Well, they mean oftentimes you have faith in God, but here's the question. Are you having faith in the lies of the wicked one, the father in lies? Are you attaching your confidence more to what he's saying about you? Are you in agreement to more what he's saying about you than the father of love? The father of lies or the father of love? The father who loves you, who has pure words and promises that he's speaking over you. And it is rejecting the father of love for, the, for having faith in the father of lies that is causing so much uh, unhindered plundering in, your, in my life. We need to, if we're going to ever get out of being plundered, if we're going to get out of, ever out of that greedy, excuse me, that needy groaning, we're going to need to say, God, you have to break. And God, I choose to break all of these agreements, just real simply, oh, we don't have time to go into this, it's going to be another sermon, but just real simply, if you're asking yourself the question, Gary, I, I want to I break all those agreements, all those lies, I want to break it. Well, number one, you've got to understand where they come from, the source. So they're not true. They're not, that's not true about you. And even if there's some truth in them, it's not going to affect the outcome you could have. You, the, 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 you, you, you could be a certain way, but God can still use you. He can transform you. He can change you. So you don't need to, number 1 believe the father of lies. Number 2 is is found in the book of Revelation where it talks about how you overcome the evil one. How you overcome the accuser of the brethren? How you overcome those who the, that one who stands at the right hand of God, the one who excuse me, that stands on the throne of God to accuse you? How do you overcome him? Well, it says by the by the word of your testimony, by the blood of the lamb and by not not having your life in a sense to where you want to own it yourself, lay, being willing to lay down your life. Three simple things. Uh, one is your testimony. You begin to speak, Lord, I believe your truth. I, I believe I can do all things through Christ. I believe if I stutter or stammer, that's no hindrance for what you can do. You can either heal me of it or you can still use me regardless regard of it. And, and, and you begin to say, my testimony is that, God, you didn't create me to be an unworthy, unloving, unlovable person. You've created me to be in a community of love, to impact others with a deep love that I have in my heart so I can be loving and I can be loved. And you begin to have that testimony that's different than what the lies you've believed in the past. That can be a a verbal testimony that you speak out loud or it's certainly the internal verbalization that you give to yourself. You speak the promises of God rather than the lies of the devil over your own life. And then secondly, by the blood of the Lamb. You plead the blood of Jesus over this. You say, the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus has defeated, has conquered. The blood of Jesus has cast all these accusations against me and has nailed them to the cross, and they are no longer mine. And so every time the lies come to you, you see, you've already put a testimony out there, but those lies will come again. The, these, these boasts, the, the sense of I'll prevail, the sense I'll master over you, will come back and attack you again. But now here's where you plead the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, the blood of Jesus rebuke you, Satan. The work of Jesus on the cross, the finished work on the cross where he's nailed all these accusations, all these lies, they, they, they have been buried. They have been cast to the pit of hell and they are no longer a reality. And then laying down your life is the third thing. We say, God, my life is not my own. Lord, I'm, I'm not here to build myself up, but I'm here for you. I, I sacrifice my all, my heart, Mind, soul, body, family, everything is a living sacrifice to you. As you turn your life over to the Lord fully, not in compromise, not in lukewarmness, not in half heartedness, as you give Him your all, He takes that and says, All right, this is where my precious promises, my pure promises, have the power to be released in your life through your testimony, through His blood, and through laying down your life uh, as a sacrifice to Him. Lastly, and in closing, we finish, strangely enough, in verse 1, having started uh, working backwards from verse 8. In verse 1, the psalmist says, David says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. There's, there's a, a sense of knowing where he needs to go. Lord, you have to save me from this situation. You have to save me from this prowling. You have to save me from this lying. You have to save me from my own sense sometimes of believing the lies. You have to save me from these agreements. You have to allow me to understand my testimony, understand the blood of Jesus, understand laying down my life, understand that your words are pure, understand that I can have faith, and therefore we're saved out of that. Therefore that vileness won't be exalted in your life. That prowler won't find defeat, A a place to defeat you. He won't master over you. You you will master over it. The Bible says in Genesis, sin is crouching at the door, and it wants to have mastery over you. It won't. The vileness won't have mastery over you. And then you can be that bold, shining light in a dark generation, as you are that pure believer who's not believed the lies and not walked in those false agreements. But you're now you're in agreement with God. Not only are you transformed. Listen to this, but you become an agent of transformation in a dark culture, in a culture that exalts vileness. They're going to see the glory of God upon your life. They're going to see the purity that you walk in, and they're going to crave. They're going to say, I want what he has. I want what she has. I want to live that kind of life. It's a godly compulsion for them to, to be drawn to you, drawn to the Spirit of God in you because of what God is doing in this pure work in your life. Let me pray for you that God would right now break any agreement that you have with the lies, break them right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we, we want to see people's testimony changed. God, that they would not go around to their friends and family and saying, I can't do this or I'm unworthy or I'm unloved or I'm unable or I'm unskilled or I'm, uh, uh, I'm not enough. Lord, break those lies by a testimony that says, God, I'm going to believe what you say about me. These words that have been refined, they've been tested time and time again. And every time They've been put through the fire, and that's the fire of people saying, Lord, is this true or not? Every time it's been put through the fire, Lord, it comes out as being yes and amen. And so I thank you now. Your word is true. It's pure. It's unchangeable. Satan changes his tactics, changes from victories at times to defeats, but you're never defeated, and you don't need to change because this, this, you're, 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 you're tried and true. You're precious and pure. Your words and your promises are pure pure. And God, we thank you that you'll give us that testimony right now. Lord, we we will no longer believe these lies. We break them now in the name of Jesus. And we say, that will not be my testimony. I will not rehearse that voice time and time again. I will not believe that lie. Lord, when we have trouble doing that in our own mind, our own heart, our own understanding, we thank you that there's another source. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that prevails It's the blood that gives us victory. It's the blood that gives us power. And we thank you for that blood that was shed on the cross, Lord, that drew us into your family and made us co-heirs with you. And as co-heirs with you, we are conquerors with you. We are seated at the right hand of Christ, and you've withheld no good thing from us. And because of that, God, we can be more than conquerors. Hallelujah. Just to be a conqueror would be a great thing over all these lies and all of these works of the devil, and all these prowling and plundering things that are going on in our life. Lord, it would be great to be a conqueror over those. But you said more than a conqueror. The blood of Jesus has raised us up to be not only a conqueror in our own life, but help other people conquer by, by training, by teaching, by prevailing in prayer, by interceding for them. And we thank you that the blood of Jesus has been applied to the doorpost of our life. And, and the, the judgment passes by. We're not under judgment. We thank you, God, that all of these accusations of the evil one, all these things that we believed, Lord, we see them now nailed to a cross we don 't see them in our mind as who we are in our heart is what we believe about ourselves. We see that something that 's been defeated, put on a cross, nailed, brought to the ground, buried, and left there and now we 've resurrected with Christ, seated in those heavenly places, and in that place, God, we no longer have those things, those attacks those those things that are prowling and plundering us. We thank you those things are gone in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, that becomes our life. We lay down our life. We're not here to win our own life, to try to make ourselves feel good. We already made good because of the work that you've done for us. And therefore, we just respond out of that, saying, Lord, my life is yours. In totality, I give you it all. And I thank you, God, that this is not a selfish message. It's not a message that says, uh, make me feel better or don't let the enemy attack me. But Lord, this is a other-centered message. It's one that you give us victory and we become now proponents of victory. We're we're now engaging in the warfare for ourselves, for our children. I pray now in the name of Jesus for our children. Lord, those, those who have been plundered in their household, having children who are backslidden, having children who are addicts, having children who are running away, having children that are prodigal, having children that have sexual immorality as the pronouncement of their life, Lord, children who are depressed, who are suicidal, who are discouraged, who are believing lies about who they are, their sexual identity, their spiritual identity, Lord, we break those curses in the name of Jesus right now. And we thank you, God, that you've given us power over the forces of darkness through the testimony, through the blood, and through laying down our lives uh, in agreement with you, God. We thank you for our children, Lord. We thank you. We thank you that all these, even the lies we believe about our children, they're not going to make it. Our marriage is not going to make it. Lord, we just we lay those down and say, God, we thank you for, as this passage of Scripture says, the Lord said he would arise. And as you arise, God, you're taking authority over all these things. You're, you're cleaning the field up. The battlefield, you've already won the victory, but now you're, you're taking the, the residue of it, the cleaning up, the mop up, so to speak. And we thank you, Lord, all things are coming together in our life. victories coming into our life. Overcoming power is coming into our life. Thank you for your pure promises. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I believe this message has been an encouragement to you, and I want to thank you for joining us today. God bless you.